Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Unexpected Points, the week three Sunday review pod coming at you a wee bit early, Monday morning. I should probably be more consistent in the timing of these episodes for YouTube if anyone wants to toss some questions in the old comment section please do so subscribe on youtube everyone uh try to tune in but um this allows me to get a little bit earlier out to the old uh podcast folks folks uh, i hate it when people say folks and uh also last night we had the nfl reader faster you know the place where i get a lot of my data from and then Use their modeling mostly for things like fourth down decisions, uh, win probability, expected points, all that, and then put together all of my own information for the advanced reviews. Uh, they're on the ball. Credit to those guys. On the ball last night, one of the first times I think this season where very shortly after the game was over, the Sunday night football game, which I think I'll review first, was over. I was able to go in there, pull down the exact game ID, and then pull up and calculate out all of the metrics for it. So I was able to post that last night, put it out there to the subscribers at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Please check that out, of course, um, which means this morning I don't have to you know, put together the, the review on that, and I can get on here a little bit quicker. Um, Because people love the rapid stuff. They love to get into it. Um, I was also able to stay up a bit because uh, I actually uh, conked out (laughs) during during the late window for like uh, for about an hour. Um, Not enjoyable. That late window. I mean, it looked like it was going to be really, really bad. There was a very surprising result when it came to Cardinals uh, Cowboys. One of the games that looked like a blowout in the other direction. But still. Those three games, I mean, we're not, we're not who's getting excited about uh, Panthers, Andy Dalton led Panthers, Seahawks. I mean, I guess Seahawks fans get excited about the result, but not many people, right? And the other two games, I think, had 12 point spreads. And uh, I mean, it's a good story, Josh Dobbs, everything they're doing there, but I don't know if anyone's really getting excited about that either. Uh, all right, let's get into some of the reviews. You guys want the information. Maybe you guys want more life stories and like uh, the personal side of things. Supposedly that builds a rapport with the audience, but whatever. You you guys don't want to hear about my life and, uh, you know, Brighton. Although I am wearing my uh, Brighton and Hove Albion uh, hoodie here for another strong victory uh, in my Premier League team of choice. All right, let's get into the advanced scores reviews everything else again i'll start with sunday night i'll go through some of the games i mean some of them obviously spend a lot more time than others and then i will um i maybe get some overarching larger thematic sort of stuff at the end um, after I go through this stuff to say what well, we can actually pull away from this one. So the, the interesting headline here, at least when we come to the adjusted scores versus the actual scores, is that the Raiders were quite significantly the better team in this by the underlying fundamentals. 
Uh, I think it looked ugly at times. There were some ugly interceptions, and that is really the big difference here. That you look at these picks, which thwarted the Raiders' offense, and again, like the last pick, I kind of just throw that out in my numbers because of the fact that it's a desperation pick at the end. But the second pick by Garoppolo looked really, really, really bad. Uh, it wasn't hugely negative because of the yards gained on field position. Uh, it, not exactly an arm punt because I think it was second and 10, but not the most favorable expected points type of positioning at second and 10. And they gained some some field position on that one. And the first pick, yeah, whatever, didn't look great either. It's what the tab was the typical Garoppolo pick is, which is just maybe see what you're seeing, throw the ball, middle of the field. Um, it works out sometimes. Other times you ended up getting picked, but you don't take a sack. Uh, but anyway, so so it had the Raiders as being about seven points better than the Steelers by the adjusted scores that I have here. And again, those adjusted scores heavily discount um, some of the turnovers, depending upon the luck factor there. Um, there was also a third and fourth down advantage that went to the Steelers. And just when you look at the simple success rates in this game, 48% success rate offensively for the Raiders. Uh, and they couldn't really run the ball at all. So this is mostly very being, being successful on a play-by-play basis, passing the ball. And only 37 38% for the Steelers, who really relied on big plays. In fact, if you look at the Steelers in this game, uh, all of their passing EPA, and again, they had they had negative rushing expected points added, as they tend to do uh, with the Steelers. The third and seven, 72-yard touchdown to Calvin Austin accounted for about 70% of their passing EPA. That was really like it for them in this game. Um, that gave them a passing efficiency that looked good, but not great when we talk about what's happening as far as success rate. And Garoppolo, what was interesting about this game is he had actually more real meaningful points lost by sacks, which normally does not happen for him, four sacks that he took in this game. But people really obviously are going to focus mostly on the interceptions. Uh, running game, bad again for the Raiders. I think people are maybe a little bit confused with how good they were running the ball last year because Josh Jacobs had these eye-popping stats that filtered through to fantasy football. I mean, they were still 20th in rushing efficiency last year. Now they're 32nd this year. They're dead last this year. So worse, obviously. And as you get out to the tails and you become an outlier, um, it gets worse and worse in those situations, but they weren't great last year. Anyway, it's just Josh Jacobs had a lot of uh, counting stats and let's, let's go fourth down discourse. You might as well get right into this at the end. There are a few different layers to this. Number one, um, when the, Raiders had the ball fourth and one from the or fourth and inches, whatever it was from the like 24 ish sort of yard line. That was a pure, you know, go for it type of situation. Now, I don't know what they were doing on the play. They got the false start. If McDaniels was doing some sort of galaxy brain thing and was going to kick it anyway and was trying to draw them off sides or anything, I, I'm not quite sure that was the case as opposed to. They just seem like their personnel was totally messed up and the center flinched. So if that's the case, then fine. Like that's an extra thing to say, what the hell is this guy thinking? But when they, once they move back five yards, this was one, at least when I saw the reaction on social media from like analytics friendly type of people, just lamenting the decision. 
with with a with a high 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 degree of certainty that it was the wrong decision. Uh, intuitively, I was like, eh, you know, it's probably a go for situation, but pretty close. And the numbers they read out as being exactly flat, maybe slightly leaning towards the field goal attempt here. Now, why is it? Why was my intuition also telling me that fourth and five? on the 29-yard line, down eight points with three minutes and 15 seconds left and all your timeouts isn't the worst. Is Well, not worst, but it isn't necessarily a bad decision to go for the field goal. It's close to a coin flip. Why is that the case versus what people are saying, which is, you know, you might never get the ball back. Then obviously that's a big risk. That's the main risk, right? You, you don't get the ball back with enough time to actually do anything. So why is it why is it close? Why was my intuition saying it was close? And when other people's intuition was this is an, a stupid, insane, dumb, dumb, dumb thing for McDaniels to be doing. Well, but a bunch of different factors here. I think the first factor, which gets almost com- completely ignored, and McDaniels was getting roasted for explaining the actual decision that he makes later using this uh, piece of information is that he said, you know, it's still a two-possession game. And what he means by that, even if you go for it and score the touchdown and all that sort of stuff, and what he means by that is, and I think it's actually a good point, this is what most people are missing out on, is you're down eight, okay? So even after the conversion and the touchdown, let's just put those into play because you're going to need you're gonna need a touchdown either way, right? Even if you kick the field goal, you're going to need a touchdown either way. But in this first scenario... You get the conversion, you get the touchdown. Um, you need the two-point conversion to tie the game. So that's basically a coin flip. So you're, so you're lowering, you know, that's like a coin flip type of probability. And you're probably going to overtime or you need another score at the end. Um, so you kind of need the two scores in regulation or you're going to need another score eventually in overtime in order to win the game. So that's another 50-50 proposition on that. So it's like you need to score the touchdown and you need to flip, you know, whatever you want to say. You need to flip a coin and get heads twice in a row in order to win the game in this scenario. So like cutting your lead, cutting the lead from eight to five, some people would say like, oh, you turn a one possession game into one possession game. No, 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 no. Like, Five points is a vastly different win probability situation, being down five points than being down eight points. You win in regulation with the touchdown. You can even miss the extra point. Um, you don't need the two-point conversion. You don't need the overtime win. You don't need all that stuff. Again, we're trying to like win the game, not tie the game. Tying the game is not the goal. Winning the game is the goal. So that's something that's missing a little bit from the discussion. Now, that applies also to... The, the other decision, which was a wrong decision to, to kick the field goal when they were closer. And the numbers do say it was a wrong decision to kick the field goal fourth and four from the eight-yard line with less time left. The numbers do show a win probability gain of 4.7% going for it there. Um, so in this situation, though, the first situation, the, being 29 yards away is also probably not fully appreciated by people. What happens is... When there is a situation when you're when you have a go for situation at the end of the game, um, if you look at like the down and distance, the you should, the distance you should be willing to go for it from, it it's higher when you're actually further away than this sort of range. So when you're out, you know you're forty something yards away from the end zone, 
you should be more willing to go for it on a fourth and five, fourth and six, fourth and seventh, fourth and eighth, because the alternatives are, are, are is worse. The opportunity cost is worse. Making that field goal, your field goal make expectation goes down rapidly as you get further and further away from the end zone. Now, being taking a 40, I guess in this case it would be a 47-yard field goal, very, very, very makeable in the NFL. Especially indoors, especially, you know, in, in the dome, all that sort of stuff. Extremely makeable. So, but you still have a decent distance to go to get to the end zone. So in this sort of range, you'd be surprised how often the field goal attempt ends up looking better versus going for it because it's a highly, highly makeable field goal. So it's not a situation where you're hitting a 55-yarder to 60-yarder or something like that. And even if you convert, you got to do a lot of work to get in the end zone after that. It's not like the second one here where he did kick the field goal from the eight-yard line where if you convert, you're either in the end zone on that play or you're highly, highly, highly likely to get in the end zone. This one, still a lot of work to do. So those are the things that people are missing when they were discussing this. One, this general range of the field skews much more heavily towards not going for it than people understand. It's not linear. It's not like you go for it all the time right next to the end zone and then you're and then it goes down as you get further away. It's not true. It goes down a lot in this mid sort of range, this dead zone for going for it. And then it goes way up um, as you get further away. And number two, five points, eight points. Drastic difference there. Um, now, he did make like the wrong decision clearly later on. I mean, two minutes and 25 seconds also only having two minutes and 25 seconds to go left in the game at that point. So it's a 50 second differential between what he had on the first field goal attempt. I mean, let's just like play this out scenario wise, right? If he had done had just taken the points, didn't take the penalty, let's say. Um, of course, that would have been totally insane. But anyway, now, let's just play it out. Let's just, let's just say there was no penalty on the first field goal attempt. They make it uh, 50-second differential. Everything plays out exactly the same offensively for the Steelers. We can't say that necessarily, but let's just say that. Now the Raiders get the ball back with a minute and two seconds instead of 12 seconds. A minute and two seconds left to go. Still... Back against the wall, still need a touchdown, still don't have any timeouts, but that's a big difference, right, um, than having so little time left. So the thing that I want to hear, though, like I, I really want to hear in these press conferences, and again, I said that McDaniel got a bunch of grief for saying it was a two-possession game either way, where I kind of agree with him. Like that was the tweet that went out by Paul Gutierrez over at, I guess he's at the athletic where people were dunking on that about, he didn't understand math, the two point conversion. No, I, I kind of get what he's saying there. What I really want to know. And that's what these guys never get into the, any details of in this, in these post press conferences, because they, they just say, Oh, you know, well, you know, we looked at the numbers. We looked at how things were going. We looked at this and that, and we decided this was the best case. Like, I want to know, like, Someone must have told you, if you have any numbers, someone must have told you that the numbers say, go for it from the eight-yard line. So what did you, Josh McDaniel, what were you thinking when you took in that information that said clear, strong, go for it, and you decided not to go for it? Like, I want him to admit these are what the numbers I was being told are, and I went against it. Can we get that sort of detail? Or if the numbers weren't telling them to go for it, can we get that detail too? Because then I want to know what the hell they're doing over there um, in the Raiders, uh, the analytics, the Raiders nerds. Maybe I didn't even have anyone really there in the past when it was uh, Gruden 
but I, I assume they have someone over there now doing doing that sort of work. So, like, give me those details. That's what I want to know. I want, like, more details into how these decisions, how the sausage is being made on some of these decisions. Otherwise, they can just say the same thing. Whether they went for it, they didn't go for it. They say, ah, well, you know, the, the numbers were, you know, I got the numbers. I thought about it, and I made this decision, thinking it was the best decision. And it doesn't mean anything uh, for me. Uh, looking at these teams going forward. Actually, one other thing I'll mention about this. The why gets slightly tilted by people who are so up in arms on these decisions near the end of the game, which end up being pretty close to coin flips, which that first field goal decision was. Uh, like people are just way too fixated on these more intuitive calls at the end, these late game calls. We don't even need models to figure out these late game calls. Like I said, my intuition kind of told me, oh, yeah, this is probably one where it's about a 50-50. People had poor intuition on the other ones, but they, you know, they're just going off of their intuition on these things. What we really need models for, and this is like the real benefit of it, and again, 4.7% probability loss according to the model on this one. There were two different calls earlier in this game, in the first half of the game, where teams didn't go for it, one for the Raiders, one for the Steelers, on their own side of the field, on fourth and one in one circumstance, on fourth and three in another circumstance where those two combined had a higher win probability loss by punting those two times than that final decision did for the Raiders. Like those are the, are the decisions that we really need to be focusing on um, because they're really the benefit of the model. That's what the model gives us like decision, decision-making in the first quarter on your own side of the field, accounting for the point spread, accounting for everything. It's like most teams don't really know. You don't really know what the situation is unless it's fourth and one. And you're like, okay, well, we should always go for it on fourth and one. Maybe there'll be some teams like that. Um, but that's really where I think teams can make a lot more uh, beneficial decision making. And, you know, there's just like this too much focus on some of these end game sorts of things, especially when people are completely overconfident in it like they were in that in that first call. All right, let's get to some of the other games. I can't spend too much time on the Sunday night game. Uh, Steelers still look like they kind of stink offensively um and the Raiders yeah not that bad but it's gonna be hard digging out here all right let's go to the early window since we had um seven oh just nine different games I think in the early window versus three in the late window and let's just go through one by one Cleveland Tennessee 24 point actual differential here 27 3 24 10 by the adjusted scores uh, the Titans 30% success rate offensively, the Browns, that's actually the worst that the Browns defense has been. The Browns has kept the other two opponents they've had so far, the, uh, Steelers and the Bengals under 30% Browns best defense in the NFL by the numbers, by the adjusted numbers, by basically everything so far this year with the Cowboys taking a bit of, a uh, uh, some lumps against the Cardinals this week. Uh, Nick Chubb discourse. You know, I wrote about it in this in last week's commentary how multiple calls for the Browns offense to fall off a cliff or they can't, you know, it can't be efficient without Nick Chubb. I mean, Nick Chubb's a great runner. Nick Chubb is a great runner. But the passing game is what's really going to matter. They passed it 4.4% over expectation in this game. I like that. They need to do that more with Deshaun Watson, even if he hasn't been good. I just think that he's a rhythm type of passer um, who doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a guy you want to throw him in this, you know, game manager type of role. Uh, he had his best game with the Browns here. 
throwing for about half a point EPA per play gained. Uh, almost 20% completion percentage over expected. I think that's probably his best game ever. I think that was one of the numbers that I pulled out for this one. Didn't make a lot of mistakes. Took some sacks, but whatever. That's fine. Um, that drove and juiced up the Browns' overall efficiency to about 80th percentile, even though their run game was bad. So, you know, they can – you can say Nick Chubb is going to – his absence going to be felt, but – it's not the killer that people are trying to predict it was. I mean, the offense stunk with Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb in there at the same time before. So, like, it's it's Watson in the passing game that needed to change. And Nick Chubb's absence hurts, but, you know, it's 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 marginal in comparison to, to what we're talking about with the passing game. And, and at the same time, you know, you get – Someone like Jerome Ford who may be better as a receiver in some ways. Um, you know, th- there is there's some potential benefit to having him in the game a little bit more, also. And then, you know, Kareem Hunt, I just traditionally a bit better better as a receiver. So that too. Uh Tannehill, though, I don't really have a lot to say here other than Tannehill, poor game, but put in a really, really bad situation there. Will Levis hasn't been active on game day. He's been like the emergency quarterback on game day. But if you're the Titans, you probably want to get a look at Levis at some point this season. Now, there's going to be talk like Tannehill being traded to the Jets. I don't – it just seems weird, especially with Aaron Rodgers being so uh, committed to the fact that he's going to come back. Next season, like, what do you have to give up for him? It might take another week or two. Let's say if the Titans are one and four, maybe another week. Maybe if they're like two and four after another handful of weeks, there there could be a move there. They could feel okay with Willis as the backup, and you know, well, whatever. Willis is the starter, and Levis is the backup, or vice versa. I mean, right now they're twenty-two points, negative twenty-two points in point. Uh, differential their defense hasn't been playing well their offense has really not been playing well um yeah uh the thing is the afc south with the jaguars going one and two so far keeps them at least theoretically in the in the mix so that could complicate their decision when they're thinking about how to move on potentially from Tannehill and why it's it's going to take another couple of weeks and maybe the jets will make a move i mean the jets kind of have to do something to figure out what they're going to do with Zach Wilson even before we get to that point. Uh, Let's move on to Falcons in Detroit. Uh, Kind of an ugly offensive game. Both teams in the 30th percentile, 30 to 40 percentile range for success rate. Uh, Goff threw another pick. And the Falcons barely had a 20% success rate when they were just overall, like rushing the ball was only 20% success rate. When that happens, you got some big problems. They had a young way coup miss, which didn't help as far as contributing to this. It was probably a little bit closer than the score. Um, but I don't know. I just don't see it with Desmond Ritter. And I know they aren't, you know, again, they're another one of the situations where the NFC South is bad. They're tied for first place in the division i guess well well the bucks could could win tonight and that would put them at three and oh 
but not out of anything by any means. So Ritter will probably stick around for a while longer, but I don't see how Heineke can be that much worse. And I don't even like Taylor Heineke. It's just Ritter, like negative 14% CPOE here. So far on the season, if you look at uh, NFL next-gen stats, where it is, where's where's my man uh, Ritter in completion percentage over expected? That's not my favorite stat, but I think for guys who are inaccurate going into the NFL, and then you look at it, so this is accounting for everything that comes into play, location of receiver. So he's tied for third lowest, and and Dalton is one of the, is he's tied with. So he's kind of really just third lowest. Uh, Jordan Love, Justin Fields, and then Desmond Ritter. Um, he's just not good. And he's thrown a lot of turnover-worthy plays that haven't been picked. His PFF grade is way, way worse than his actual um, efficiency so far this season, and that will continue again next year. I don't know. I mean, the Falcons' regime here in year three is kind of kind of reliant upon him. And when he makes mistakes like he did here, where they actually falter through, then it's just low upside offense. Uh, Green Bay, New Orleans, close game. I mean, I don't know how the Packers are winning these games. Packers fans, you're on my radar a little bit as far as annoying me with this, like, Jordan Love, Love versus Aaron Rodgers. Like, some some idiot posted a stat where it said that Jordan Love had now has more or as many, I can't remember what it was, um, wins, comebacks against winning teams as Aaron Rodgers in his career. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just not true. <laughs> But you could, but these guys like think they could just say anything. Aaron Rodgers, come on, man. I know things didn't end well, but shit, man. Top 10, probably the best player in your franchise's history. Show some respect, people. Uh, fandom is a, is, is a crazy thing. Um, but, you know, they ended up winning this game. So, you know, the, the very, very makeable field goal here at the end here for the Saints, like extremely makeable, 48 yarder in today's NFL. When you're doing it in September, you should you should make that one. Um, but on the bright side here, we got, and I don't know if this is the first time that it's ever actually successfully been executed, but we got the go for two down eight success here with the one point victory. Um, this is something that I wrote about a couple of websites ago, and when it was really like never being done, or yeah, I think it was, I think basically it was never done. A few years ago. And then I don't know who did it first. I think the Eagles did it first with Doug Peterson. Then the Giants did it once on an island game. And people lost their shit when the when the Giants did it. And that's when I, my, you know, I was able to push out that article a ton to a bunch of different people. ESPN and others have now written about it a lot. It's the theory where essentially you have two chances to go for two. So if you don't get the first two, you can get the second two and still go to overtime. But if you get the first two, you don't have to go for two again. So having that knowledge, you can then kick the extra point, which we saw them do here, take the one point lead, win in regulation versus overtime. Again, winning in regulation versus overtime is is something that people like really undervalue. Um, the benefit of winning versus just having a tie and going to overtime. So the Packers were able to do this. On this one, they went for two uh, when they were down, you know, they're down 14, they score, they're down eight, they went for two, and then they eventually ended up scoring again, kicking the extra point, and then winning in regulation. Now, they got lucky to win in regulation, but I don't think anything would have played out differently 
Sometimes there can be a bit of a negative to this theory where if, if you take a lead, you're forcing the other team at the end to then, you know, go for it on fourth down and really press to score. And then they can beat you in regulation rather than just accepting overtime. And there's the game theory with that. But that wasn't really the case here. I mean, the Saints got all the way down into field goal range without even having to go to a third down um, until until late, until they were already in field goal range. So it wasn't like they were being forced into offensive uh, desperation and going for it on fourth down to to come back because the Packers had a one point lead. Uh, but I think the thing here with the Packers and with this offense, eh, sub forty percent success rate, just not that great, just not good in this game. Um, a little bit better passing than running, but again, like Jordan Love had the had the NFL leading efficiency going into this week. I think he's second or third after this week. Positive EPA per play here, but you know low. Completion percentage over expected. And I don't always, you know, rely too highly on that number. I think for guys like Patrick Mahomes, certain seasons it's been on the low side and we can discount it somewhat. But for Jordan Love, I don't know. It it makes me wonder how much, how much like luck is he getting on some of these big plays? Because he's pretty consistently not completing passes at the rate that you would want. Uh, He's gotten some DPIs to generate efficiency and other things. So what we'll end up, we'll end up seeing here. Um, what he's been good at though, is just not making mistakes. So he's in the, he's in the bottom five for, you know, or the top five, however you want to frame it for EPA lost when it comes to interceptions, fumbles, sacks. So he's been good at that. And he's been juicing his efficiency with rushing 4.1 EPA from rushing and scrambles this year. Um, he had a big scramble in this game. He had a touchdown, I think, conversion on fourth down in this game. You know, if you, if you can add some rushing efficiency and you can keep mistakes down, even if you're not necessarily throwing the ball that well, um, this is without Christian Watson and some other guys who maybe can stretch the field a bit more for him. You know, it could be a winning formula if you have a defense is playing okay and you get some randomness in your favor. It's kind of like Daniel Jones last year, right? He's not running it as much as Daniel Jones, though. But, like, if you have low mistakes, good rushing efficiency, you can have some pretty good numbers. I, th- I think Love will fall, though, and maybe he'll be more like a um, middling type of efficiency quarterback for most of the year um, with the, the rushing offsetting, maybe some passing that's down there. But still, n- not bad. But this guy is not, you know, it's not like the next coming of the Favre to Rodgers to Love continuum at least what we're seeing as far as his upside throwing the ball for me um, and his accuracy throwing the ball for me. Uh, still a lot to be, lot to be determined though. Okay. Miami Denver. This was the video game score here. 70 burger, 70 burger <laughs> by the dolphins here. Uh, highest success rates on record that I've had over the last couple of years. And it's not like they weren't good running the ball. 97th percentile running the ball, hundredth percentile passing the ball. Gained an expected point every single time they drop back the pass. There's not really too much you can say about this. Um, this would probably be capitulation week for two of skeptics, I think. It's funny. Last week, he had at DraftKings and maybe some other books, he had the highest or the shortest, I should say, MVP odds. And I was listening to the Establish the Run podcast. You should always check that out where they had on um, Jeff, what's his name? Jeff from Circa. 
Jeff Benson from Circa on there, who I like. Good follow. You should follow him at Jeffrey Benson 12 on Twitter. Talking about uh, MVP and Tua. And he was saying that the guy who hangs their MVP numbers called it, and this is a literal quote, a total joke to have Tua with the shortest MVP odds going into week three. And eh, let's see who's laughing now. <laughs> I think, I don't know where Circa is going to be. I guess I, I don't think they're in Maryland, so I don't, I don't have it up in front of me. At least I wonder where their MVP odds are going to be. I mean, to, I mean, Mahomes had a good game too. So I, I do agree that Mahomes like and Mahomes is just every year. I would just bet him MVP until he's such a ridiculously overwhelming favorite, even to start the season. Um, but I don't know. Total joke was a little bit rough because the Dolphins have had, you know, the best off second best offense in the NFL now for the entire last season and through this season when they have Tua. I mean, how much evidence do we need to say this is probably going to continue? And the whole idea that, oh, it's narratives, it's support, it's this and that. EPA per play has translated. Whoever's highest in that translates to wins, and that all the other, other stuff takes care of itself. And that person has been the MVP most of the time. Almost always, first in efficiency ends up being the MVP. So if Tua ends up being first in efficiency, yeah, it's going to hurt him that he has Tyreek Hill. But, you know, Jalen Hurts was second in MVP voting last year, and he probably had one of the sweetest gigs as far as surrounding supporting cast offensive line strength of schedule everything else last season and i don't think it hurt him that much um the narrative i think is gonna is gonna be flipping the flipping on tua here uh maybe a little bit of capitulation this week from tua tua skeptics um i want to give you know I, I don't really care about sean payton personally a lot of people just seem not to not like him as a, as a like human being or something or his attitude or what? I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Can't say anything. Good coach. I still think he's a good coach. I mean, the offense has been good. Uh, I don't know what you can, I mean, obviously the buck stops here type of situation when he's the head coach and you give up a 70 burger. Um, but I did think it was kind of ridiculous that there was this video clip of him being interviewed after the game. And we're in like clown question, bro, sort of territory where I watched some of his interview after the game I mean, he comes right out saying it was an embarrassment. It's this and that, everything else. He answers a few more questions. And then some some reporter comes in. And this is when you got his like testy exchange with the reporter where he's like, do you have a question here? Because the reporter comes in and he's like, "Uh, you know, it's the historic loss down by 70 points, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dude, do you have a question here? And the guy's like, "Um, yeah, like, how do you feel about that? What is this? How do you feel nonsense? He just answered like five straight questions about how they sucked. And now your question is 70 points. How do you feel? Like, let's, there must be something better to ask. I beg you people. I beg you reporters, like, have an interesting question to ask these guys other than how they feel about whatever the the headline that you're, that you want to write your story about and plug in the quote, plug in that exact quote about. Clown question, bro. Um, okay, let's move back on to... The games here. Uh, well, what I want to think about Wilson. I mean, is there? He's been okay. You know, his EPA per play was actually flat in this one when it was pretty good earlier in the game. He's been okay this season. Defense just fallen off a cliff, though. I mean, it's kind of amazing, like the narrative change here. If the defense wasn't so god awful, if they were winning some games, I think they're actually two and one according to my adjusted scores this year versus zero and three. 
Um, man, there would be a flip of narrative. It'd be like Russell Wilson starting to gain his form back. Sean Payton working his magic, miracle worker, everything else. Instead, we get fucking total disaster over there. Um, maybe this will help the boost his trade value if they wanted to cut the core next season. Now, if they trade him pre-June 1st, it's $68 million of sunk costs, but that's no cash, right? Like, if they can get rid of the guaranteed salaries, um, $54 million would be left over the next two years in guaranteed salary. Someone might take that, right? Uh, $27 million a year for Russell Wilson in today's NFL, where guys are getting paid $50 million a year. Eh, someone might take that. Uh, but the Broncos will have to be willing to eat the cap hit, which is just a sunk cost. It's not a cash. There's no cash cap hit there of $68 million. And I don't know if they're in a position to draft someone, maybe they'll do that. And, you know, trade them, trade them away to someone. Um, although fan bases, he's going to have to play pretty well the rest of the season for fan bases to get on board uh, with that one. Okay, Minnesota Chargers, the game that someone had to not lose. Someone had to not lose this game, and it was the Chargers. Despite the fact the Vikings were, you know, a, a ball that hit the hands of the receiver tipped interception away from, from winning the game there at the end Vikings. Congratulations. You are two and one, according to my adjusted scores this year versus zero and three uh, last season, 14 and three with the actual scores, seven and 10 on the adjusted score. So it just shows you like how high variance this is. Anyone who tries to say, Oh, teams they, they have some special juice, some special philosophy, some special thing that you can't measure in your numbers that allows them to win these one-score games or allows them to win these games that are lucky, according to my fundamental uh, adjusted scores. No, no, sorry. Just flips one way, flips the other way. You know, God, they lost this game despite a massive uh, special team slash penalty advantage of 12.7 expected points. Uh, there's a missed field goal for the Chargers, 12 penalties for 95 yards for the Chargers. But, I mean, the turnovers, only a 3.6 differential in turnovers here because um, Herbert lost some points to turnovers in this one. Actually, no, he didn't. Uh, did they have a fumble? No, I guess it's just like, but another fumble for the Vikings. So that's seven fumbles. They even had an eighth fumble of the, on the season that got questionably um, upheld as a form of momentum being stopped. I mean, these fumbles are just kill your team. Because again, they normally come on good down and distance situations. So the expected points, like the expected points lost on your average fumble is worse than your average interception. Um, the Chargers running game, it's wild here that they were so good running the ball week one. And people can point to Austin Eckler again. Don't get fooled into that. Don't get fooled into it's all about the running back. I'm sure Eckler helps, but... Don't get fooled. And the same Nick Chubb, Chubb people, they're telling you that the Browns offense would be sunk without Nick Chubb. are going to tell you that the Chargers offense is, is sinking, running the ball because of the loss of Austin Eckler. Uh, first percentile rushing efficiency here. 15, 30 yards on 15 carries. But you know what? You just drop back the pass 50 times with Justin Herbert. Problem solved. You know? You, you, can't, you can't solve the problem quite as easily in the other direction. When your passing game is not going well, you can't just run the ball all the time because you need to convert some third downs. Um, yeah, Cousins, 0.21 EPA per play. He's in the top 10 EPA per play this season. He had a down year last year, and they had a great record. He is having a strong year this year despite some turnover issues. Um, and he's having a really strong year, like just fundamentally without the turnovers. And uh, team's not doing so well. So, hey, 
Can't predict it. Uh, Jets, Patriots. I mean, the, the, the Jets end up with a 28% success rate offensively in this game. And it was looking a lot worse at one point before they finally got a touchdown drive in the second half. Um, they averaged 2.8 yards per play. But it's like they can't even rush the ball either. 1.7 per on 22 rushing attempts. Despite an 11.5 EPA advantage in penalties and special teams, uh, they still lose this game. I mean, when are we going to give up this farce of Robert Sala saying that he gives them the best chance to win? Zach Wilson. He stinks. Um, yeah, maybe it's like an opportunity cost situation where Tim Boyle is the only other quarterback that they have there. He has eight interceptions on a total of 106 career pass attempts. So not great, Bob, also. But I'm at the point now with Zach Wilson when we're talking about getting like fifth percentile offensive efficiency out of this offense in back-to-back weeks, like, couldn't you just pull a random free agent quarterback who's, who has some NFL experience, let's say off of the street and get better results or not get that much worse results. Like we're almost to that point. Fucking Carson Wentz. Just, just bring him in, you know, just do it. Bite the bullet. I know it's going to look, look really, really bad if you suck with Carson Wentz and everyone's going to be on your case, but he cannot be worse than this. Your your season is being pissed away here. Your defense, which continues to play well. Um, by my adjusted numbers so far this year, the Jets' defense, actually, they're not that great. They're about average-ish, but they haven't had an easy schedule, I don't think. Um, but for, as far as their scoring offense, you know, second worst in the NFL behind with the Bengals are still there. We'll see. Hopefully the Bengals has really been bad. Um it's just bad, 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 bad. Uh, you got to do something. Salah, I'm sorry. You just got to do something. Uh, Mac Jones, not too bad for Mac Jones. A little bit of a turnaround under the radar turnaround for him so far this season. Uh, oh, yeah. I also had a, uh, the dots up here for the Wilson check down. We actually got the ball back after this. but This is like the most embarrassing check down. One of the most embarrassing checkdowns I've ever seen. I mean, it doesn't quite reach. There was a Derek Carr fourth and goal where I think he threw the ball away. Like, it doesn't quite reach that status of embarrassment. But there was a play, this play here, fourth and 10, 126 remaining, where they run the routes down the field. They have, let's say, three routes that are past the sticks. You know, they have a couple of safeties back there. They have man-on-man coverage and then two deep safeties. But still, like throw it up to somebody instead he checks it down like one yard past the line of scrimmage to a tight end who's just a total safety valve where the tight end not only does he have a defensive back on him but by the time that he would have even gotten to like being 10 yards downfield if he could have broken one tackle he probably would have had one or two other guys who would have been around him i mean just a mind bog kirk cousins was blushing on that one when he saw that when he saw that check down on on fourth down uh, sorry, Kirk Cousins catching a straight one there. Uh, okay, let's go to Washington Buffalo. I mean, biggest difference though in a, in actual score versus adjusted score because a thirty four point differential, thirty seven to three, versus only six according to the adjusted score. And this is really one of those ones where 
my numbers look at turnovers and say there's a high degree of variance to them. I know Sam Howe looked like, you know, dookie in this one. 30 expected points lost basically to interceptions and sacks. But that's probably on the bad side of luck. No matter how poorly he played, that was the second most value lost on those negatives for any quarterback in 700 different quarterback performances since the beginning of 2022. Probably bad luck. No matter how well the Bills played on defense, no matter how poorly he played, probably some degree of bad luck. Because if you look at success rate, they were almost equal. They were both around like 41% in this game. Um, now, the Bills didn't have to pass it a lot. Uh, Josh Allen had 38 plays that he was a part of. And, you know, they didn't run the ball particularly well. But still, the success rate offensively for the commanders wasn't that bad. You know, rushing the ball about 40, 54%. It's bad passing the ball. And then all the turnovers are just monster. Um, I'm not as down on Hal, even with this performance as the worst of the week by EPA per play. You know, basically a flat CPOE. Uh, he is generating some value if you if you don't look at the negatives. Now, I know this is kind of like, you know, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln, like other than that sort of situation. Um, but still, like he's shown something, I think, with the comeback against the Broncos with how he played in week one. I think he showed more than like a Desmond Ritter, for instance, so far this season. Uh, I mean, definitely more than Zach Wilson. We've had plenty. Like, I would take him above those guys. And maybe the commanders can continue to roll with him this year. Uh, even with, if there will be some pressure on Rivera. And I do think they have a better backup when it comes to Jacoby Brissett. But they're still 2-1. and one. You know, I would not pull the plug on them uh, too early. I would not pull the plug on Howell too early, despite this, you know, awful game. Allen. You know, Island had the Island game issue week one. Has had a couple of good performances now. I think he's up to second or third in EPA per play this season. So, you know, it's okay. Uh, also, one other thing on Howell, like for some of these interceptions, like the most negative play that he had, 7.5 uh, expected points lost on the pick six. Literally, they had a 0% win probability at that point. You know, I, I kind of don't mind these quarterbacks who just, they're not trying to like protect their their stats at the end of games. And they're just like, what's going to enhance win probability is also the thing that's going to enhance the chance of just having a total meltdown uh, and turnover fest. I mean, Peyton Manning, greatest quarterback ever, in my opinion, at having intuition, whether it's through study or just naturally for maximizing win probability, had a bad defense he played with, was down in a lot of games. He had 20 different games where he threw three interceptions. He's willing to just sling it when it comes to it, you know? Who cares if you have two, three, or four interceptions if you had like a 1% win probability going into those uh, interceptions anyway? Well, not who cares, but, you know, it's not that it's not that big of a deal. Okay, Jags-Texans. Whoa, Jaguar alert. Trevor Lawrence apologist alert. What are we going to do here? Actually, I'm not that low on Trevor Lawrence. I just think that, like, versus... Him, his apologists and it like are also like Herbert lovers. Like I'm much more on the like Justin Herbert is legit elite train than I am on Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, I'm still, I'm still, still got to get there for Lawrence. I don't think Lawrence has ever had consistent play as high a level as we saw from Justin Herbert his first two seasons. And we're seeing from Herbert, I think this season so far. Um, so for that reason, still a little bit more wait and see 
on Lawrence. I know he hasn't had great luck with some turnovers, with some guys not being able to keep their feet in. But I remember after week one, people were putting him in this, okay, there's the Mahomes tier, there's the second tier, and Lawrence belongs right in that second tier. I don't know. Let, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see here. They're sitting at one and two, but their division stinks. Um, CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud alert. You know, not only did he have like a high, high offensive efficiency, zero mistakes, zero. I don't know what the hell is going on with this Jaguars defense, though. Um, or and their secondary, <laughs> even guys, guys are kind of wide open on some of these throws. I will say Tank Dell kind of running wide open. Uh, zero mistakes. So no interceptions, no sacks, no fumbles, uh, adding a little juice on the ground. 6.1% CPOE. So he's throwing over expectation. On his completion percentage, that's not one of those things you, where you're you're kind of side eyeing the the efficiency and saying eh, I don't know about this. Like he might begin lucky on a few big plays here. No, looking pretty good. And I, I'm not like flipping around my quarterback rankings where I was saying that like number one in, in coming into the draft, I had Bryce Young as his himself in a tier, and then Richardson by himself as a tier and then CJ Stroud next in, 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 in his own tier there. Um, so like Stroud's looking pretty good, but I think what I'll say is and I've been pretty open about this is these are just educated guesses at best. And I'm all for just taking shots on quarterbacks. Even if you don't know, you know, I didn't see a lot from draft evaluation, Twitter, at least cool kids like film Twitter, that were saying C.J. Stroud, QB1. I saw Richardson out there. I maybe saw some of Bryce Young. We had the whole debacle with the S2 scores and whatever the cognition scores and whatever was going on with C.J. Stroud there. I mean, I'm not crowning the kid, right? But I just think we've had some evidence on how well he's played so far that we can say, eh, we don't know a whole lot about these guys. It doesn't mean that, like, there's no difference between drafting you know Brock Purdy in the seventh round or drafting a guy number one overall it just means that if someone ticks the box for saying NFL teams are interested in them as a top top pick so you know we had three picks in the you know three guys in the first four picks here for uh, quarterbacks here go ahead and take a shot you know maybe Bryce Young is a bust and then people will say oh it didn't matter that the Bears uh, the the Bears passed at number one because they would have taken Bryce Young and he's a bust. But if Richardson and Stroud are playing well, you can't just say that. You can't just like look at the one result. If two out of three guys end up being good, then that shows you the value of taking those shots at early quarterbacks, even if you don't have a great, like the most confident evaluation on them. I mean, no one had a confident evaluation on Patrick Mahomes. No one had that confident of an evaluation. Not no one. But not many people in the NFL, at least, seem to have had that confident of an evaluation on Deshaun Watson when he went 12th overall. Not many people had that confident of an evaluation on Justin Herbert. I mean, he was given an F grade drafting Justin Herbert by PFF, which I remember at the time when I was there, I was like, yikes, you cannot say that about a top quarterback prospect being taken that early. It's just, you know, come on, guys. Um, So that more than anything, Stroud, tip the cap. Really great game for him. Um, but we'll, we'll see going forward. But he kind of just plays into the rule of taking shots, saying, oh, we're going to wait for next year for the better prospects. We just don't know. Like, wait for next year for the better guy. Not necessarily playing out so far. Uh, I see someone saying here, so is Mac Jones firmly the best QB of the 20, the, the, the 21 class? No, no, I'm not going that far. 
<laughs> no, I still take Trevor Lawrence over, over him, definitely. But I'm just saying, let's not crown that kid when he's been very up and down as being in that tier. Like, I want to wait. I want to wait a bit. Um, he's he's going to be bottom half in efficiency so far this year with some poor context, but let, let's wait a little bit there. Uh, Baltimore versus Indianapolis. Big surprising result here. My adjusted scores have the result flipped. Obviously, you had the, the Tucker missed field goal. You had a very long field goal uh, from the Colts in here. You had some turnover disadvantage for the Ravens here. Um, some Ravens probably had to be Ravens fans, right? Like who else is commenting on these videos to get mad at reasonable takes? So there were some Ravens fans who commented on YouTube about the fact that I said I still had some skepticism in their offense and where they were like, well, what else do you want to see from them? Your takes make no sense. I mean, this is what happened this week is kind of why I have the skepticism in the offense. 6.5 yards per pass attempt. It's okay. But like, are we really going to get the juice in the, out of the passing offense that we need. Like, I still think we need more design runs for Lamar Jackson, which we did get in this game. And without the design runs, the result would have been even worse. I mean, he had two design runs on the first, on the first drive. He scored a touchdown. Two out of the three top EPA gaining plays for the Ravens in this one were Lamar Jackson designed runs. He's been doing the scrambling and not really accumulating that much value through the scrambling. He's been accumulating yards, but not value. Uh, EPA value. So he did run a bit more in this one, which I think was good. 9.4 EPA gained in rushing and scrambling, um, which got him to basically flat on his efficiency for the game, though. That was the problem. Just I, I'm just more skeptical of the passing for the Ravens, especially when your number one target is Zay Jones. And I had uh, a little comment on the Twitter X, whatever the hell you want to call it this morning, where Timo Riske, again, I love Timo, but he has some really bad tweets. This one, he was pointing to Quinton Johnston and Zay Flowers and saying, is this another Jalen Rager, um, Justin Jefferson situation? Now, of course, it's like it's absurd to be comparing anyone to Justin Jefferson this early into their career. But I think especially so for Zay Flowers. I mean, maybe if you're in a PPR league, Zay Flowers is doing, is doing work for you. Um, but we're talking about nine yards per reception for Zay Flowers so far. A lot of receptions, but nine yards per reception. An average of four air yards per completed pass to Zay Flowers. It's not a, it's not a efficiency lifting type of role that he has in this one. It's a great complementary role so far. Maybe he will be the efficiency lifter. He's had some plays down the field, but I mean, he, he's tiny. He's not too, too at well, but you look at him out there and you're like, eh, you know, I'm not sure how big this guy's going to be able to play. I mean, I know guys like, um, why is my name? Devonte Smith are small weights, but at least their like frame is a little bit bigger and taller to be able to pull down some, some passes down the field. We'll see. I mean, maybe Fla Zay Flowers develops that stuff down the, down the field, but I don't think he's like a game changing type of receiver for them. When you don't have that and you have Jackson, who's not necessarily going to be a sit back and pass like they were trying to make him. He only had two design runs in the first two games of the season type of player. Uh, they got to lean a little bit more into this design run game. I mean, they would have been lost without it in this one. I mean, they did lose the game, but they were fundamentally better, I think. They would have been lost without it in this one um, if he didn't run sometimes. They had a much better success rate to the Colts. Colts got a little bit lucky. Gardner Minshew, after I was singing his praises as being better than a lot of quarterbacks out there, that eh, wasn't that great. But 
he didn't completely tank the team. So I guess there's that going on there. All right, let's turn to the uh, late window here. We don't have a lot here. I you know I had to get my Taylor Swift picture in here to drive drive some clicks. Uh, let's go Seattle Carolina first. Ten point win, thirty seven twenty seven nine point adjusted score, pretty equal. Strong success rate for the Seahawks, not so much for the Panthers. Uh, third and fourth down is really where the differences were here. Seahawks 10 for 20 on third down. Panthers 3 for 12. About a 16-point EPA advantage there. Make or miss league when it comes to third downs. Convert or not league. And the Seahawks did that. Um, successful running the ball in this one for the Seahawks, who hadn't necessarily been the case, especially with um, Kenneth Walker's success rate. has not been great, but 50% success rate rushing the ball. Miles Sanders, uh, on the other hand, 24 yards, 9 carries. Not so, not so hot. Uh, Andy Dalton almost matched Geno Smith in efficiency. And which is strange because, you know, he, he had a low CPOE. So I think it's a little bit wonky. Some of this, he had a big play to DJ Chark, which involved a, a lot of yak and a missed tackle there. Uh, but still, Adam Thielen, 14 targets, 11 receptions, 143 yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's an embarrassment for any defense. So I still think the Seattle Seahawks defense is a monster liability. Um, you make, you know, Adam Thielen look like uh, Justin Jefferson. And you also make Andy Dalton look good behind a team that really fundamentally has problems and can't rush the ball at all at home. Yeah. Yeah. Seahawks, you know, take your dub, but you got to figure out what you're doing on defense. Uh, Gino. Gino about the same numbers as Andy Dalton. This is another thing that'd be interesting. Like people's reactions to Jimmy Garoppolo versus Gino this year, they're about the same in efficiency so far, depending upon how you categorize things. Garoppolo, I, I don't count like the desperation interception at the end, but a lot of people will. So EPA per play, whatever. But they're about the same so far this year. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, oh, Gino's proving that our takes was right. And Jimmy Garoppolo's proving that it was all Shanahan. Nah, they've been about equal. So far this year, I know the like Island game, Jimmy wasn't too hot, but uh, anyway, I'm just saying you can't say that like uh, Kyle Shanahan was the reason that Jimmy had great EPA. And then when he has pretty good EPA again, you say, oh, EPA is just a bad stat. Like, which one is it? Like, if he's able to put up consistently good EPA in different situations, then maybe he just generates value in a way that's not very aesthetically pleasing. Uh, Arizona, Dallas, biggest surprise of the week, Arizona, 28 points on a 15.5% implied team total. When you look at the betting markets, but the game was a bit closer than you might think. Uh, Cowboys were actually pretty good offensively from a success rate standpoint. The problem is 7.7 EPA loss to negatives. Uh, Josh Dobbs, what the hell happened in this game? 0.26 EPA per play, 90th percentile offensive efficiency. They're also running the ball all over the place. Um, and the Cowboys were able to run the ball pretty well too, but the passing game let them down. Maybe I was a week early on my DAC. You know, if this Cowboys defense is really good and he can continue to be efficient on low volume, could could be in the MVP conversation. Uh, not, not so hot. Not so hot for for Dak in this one um and again the defense falls out of being the best defense in the nfl now still you know right around a few other teams for second best defense in the nfl but maybe we're not you know 1985 chicago bears yet 
for this uh, Cowboys defense, as some people are thinking might be the case. Okay, Kansas City, Chicago. 31 point differential, only 12. Hey, there you go, Bears. You're closer than you might think. Um, here, you know, the Bears stink. I kind of wrote how maybe we're piling on them a little bit too much, but they're not they're not helping with this result. Uh, they're they're an underdog at home to the Broncos next week, as many people have pointed out. It's either two and a half or three and a half points, depending upon what I've read so far. So, so not good. Team that got got handed the 70 burger is a favorite in your house next week. Um, now, I had a lower assessment on fields going into the season, maybe even as a prospect because of how he fell in the draft, um, advocating to take a quarterback in this draft. And again, like, hey, it could have been C.J. Stroud, right, uh, is one of those guys. I'm not saying, like, you ignore if the other guy, if Bryce Young is bad, but, hey, you know, if it's a coin flip, like, why not add a coin flip to the situation versus a guy who – it's probably a lot less than a coin flip of being successful after having two years of poor results. Now, maybe Ryan Poles is playing 4D chess here by keeping fields there. Then they get the number one pick again. Then they get a better prospect. But I, I definitely do not think that's the case. Um, passing EPA per play below the first percentile. And yeah, part of the problem with Fields and this thing, this idea that he was progressing last season is, is it was almost all based upon these like extremely high rushing value plays. Outside of these monster scrambles where he was gaining like 70 yard touchdowns, uh, he's never been someone who put his team in a position to win. I mean, again, this week, 9.9 expected points lost on interception sacks, fumbles. Like, he's never going to be able to overcome that passing. He had 1.6 EPA rushing, and he actually had a couple of decent rushes here. But, you know, last year he was getting, like, 9, 8, 9, 10 EPA rushing in a lot of these different games. Just not sustainable. Mahomes um, is back in the MVP race here. Um, basically, 0.6 EPA per play, MVP numbers. Similar formula to last year, only a 6.8-yard average depth of target. Um a lot of yak generation here. A lot of cute little plays here. Uh, 11 different receivers caught a ball. I said Mahomes completed a pass to 11 different receivers, but that might not be true because Blaine Gabbert was in the game at the end. Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> so Blaine Gabbert has six plays. I think it was five pass attempts and a and a scramble maybe or something. Six plays and he lost 6.4 EPA or expected points in six plays. <laughs> so Gabbert did his best. <laughs> to kill the Chiefs' numbers here at the end of that at the end of that game, um, but uh, he couldn't do it. I mean, maybe that's that. Maybe that's a red flag here. Without Chad Henne, we didn't bring Chad Henne out of retirement just in case um, Patrick Mahomes get injured. He did get rolled up on in this game. I think he's fine, but he did get rolled up on in this game. Um, another thing with Mahomes: zero EPA lost, interception, sack, fumbles. Now he's playing the Bears, who might be like the worst defense in the NFL. Might be even worse than their offense. So let's not, you know crown them or something but i think that's an interesting one uh this the, the, this season all right let's go to let's go to q a here uh again add any questions you may have in here uh hopefully that'll like tip me off on some other thematic things to potentially think about a uh, couple things that maybe i can mention right off the top is well i guess i kind of mentioned it as part of the discussion you know vikings um Pats were guys that I pointed out as probably being better than their record. Same with the Chargers going into this game. And the Vikings have still been okay. So I don't know. Too bad Vikings fans. All right, let, let's let's get 
let's get let's get to the, your questions here. What are your thoughts on recent research on sampling bias for go for it and win probability models? I'm referring to the talks about how most red zone action is from good teams. It's interesting. I think it's definitely something to control for. So the the just to explain this a bit further is if you take a like red zone efficiency numbers, let's say, and you're just taking across the entire NFL. Well, good teams are in the red zone more often than bad teams. So it's going to be overweighted the sample towards good offenses. So the numbers that you have that you want to say NFL average red zone efficiency is X is not really like the median type of outcome in the NFL. It's not really what you should assume as the correct base rate for all offenses to then adjust off of because it's skewed in the wrong direction. I want to give you like one of the most famous examples of uh, sampling bias. One of the most famous examples of sampling bias is uh, in 2006, I think it was, they switched to being able to defer the kick at the beginning. Before it was basically like you flipped a coin and it was totally random whether or not you were going to get the ball first or not. There was no deferral. Because, you know, even now you, you don't choose the kick. You choose to defer the decision into the second half. It's a weird thing, right? Um, but after that, when they first implemented that, everyone just choose, chose to take the ball because that's what they had been doing for you know all of history. And a few coaches started deciding to defer. Um, two big ones were, were Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. So it became this thing that people said, oh, teams who defer are winning 60% of the time. So there must be some sort of like fundamental advantage in deferring versus receiving the initial kickoff. Um, and that was just totally sampling bias. I looked at, you know, again, the pre 2006 numbers, and it was actually a very, very, very slight advantage towards taking the ball first when it was completely randomly sampled, but it wasn't a random sample and people were running with those numbers um, for, for, for that. So that, that goes to play here. Um, it's true of like what you say, like, you know, go for it, with one yard to go. Yeah. I mean, teams are going for it a lot more often when it's actually one inch than when it's almost one and a half yards. Both of them are classified as one yard to go. Uh, I do think that's very important stuff. Like the efficiency of, of rushing near the goal line or rushing with your quarterback near the goal line, things like that. Yeah. You only do that if you have a good rushing quarterback. I mean, it comes into play a lot with guys who like to tout 12 personnel. Everyone's like, everyone should just run 12 personnel all the time. Well, no, there's a there's a sampling bias there where like these teams probably have two good receiving tight ends and not a lot of teams have that can't just roll out 12 personnel with every team out there and expect a juice efficiency. So, yeah, it, it plays out everywhere um, as far as how to correct for it. There are some some ways you can try to do so. You can try to uh, like bootstrap additional samples of to make it more of a league average sort of way. And that would be the way to do it. Or, you know, you just have intuition to know that it might be the case and how you should be thinking about that. But I do think it's interesting. Maybe they came up with this, like, what is it? Nessus is the, is the conference that's happening right now. I think they might've come up there. So I uh, appreciate the question. Um, I already talked about that. Where is QJ? Is he really that bad? The chargers don't want to play him at all, or can they just not start him while uh, QJ Quinton Johnson, we're talking about here while Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are healthy. Yeah, I mean, I think Josh Palmer is like, they also have Palmer, and he's been okay. I mean, he's kind of an efficiency killer, honestly, last year. Uh, but he was okay last week. 
So you got Williams, you got Keenan Allen, you got Palmer. I think ideally Palmer would start to move off the field. Um, they have like a lot of injury problems in the past that Johnston would be kind of filling in for. Uh, I think we're still at week three, so I'm not freaking out. But if this continued over the next several weeks, then I would be kind of freaking out a bit. I mean, let's remember Justin Jefferson was, you know, sitting behind. Hell, I don't even remember who it was. KJ Osborne, maybe. No, no offense to my man, KJ Osborne. But the first few weeks of his rookie season, um, if you look at Justin Jefferson, it wasn't like he was on the field and not producing. He just wasn't getting on, on the field enough. If you look at Justin Jefferson, game logs, blah, 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 first season. Week one, two receptions. Week three targets. Week two, three targets, three receptions. And then, <coughs> excuse me, an explosion in week three, once they actually started running him out there on the field, he was playing about 50% of the offensive snaps before that. What do we have here for, let's look at snaps for Quentin Johnston. I think, I think it's a lot more dire though, obviously for him so far. Um, game logs. Sorry for talking my way through here. Yeah. 27% snap rate, 15%, 24%. Um, he has logged eight targets though, but it looks like kind of shit targets though three yards per target. Um, yeah, I, I'd be a little bit worried, but let's not go too far yet. Let's, let's wait a little bit longer. And plus stuff's going to open up. Uh, Keenan Allen, this is probably his last season. And then Mike Williams got a big contract. They're going to have to figure out um, next year. Okay. Uh, Poles is gone at the end of the season. Yeah, you probably, you, you might be right. Hey, his analytics took a hit. You're right with that, with that athletic score that they, the 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 cylinder, the athletic cylinder didn't look so hot. Um, I'm going to say there is there is an individual in the Bears front office. Subscribe to unexpectedpoints.substack.com. I won't uh, dox them, but let me just say, hey, what happened? My article. I told you to draft someone. You guys didn't follow me. Um, okay. I'm not getting into the gradient sampling here on this one question, although I do appreciate it. Q&A, how do you view the Saints-Packers game? A great come from back, come from, come back by Green Bay or a game New Orleans let slip. As a Packers fan, I've always respected Rodgers, even wore his jersey to the game. I appreciate that. Yeah, maybe you just have the loudest people on social media are the, like the negative snarky people who are just generally then going to have something negative and snarky to say about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a game that I had it basically being even in this game. So I don't think any team was necessarily better. I think it played down exactly as it as it went. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I, we got the go for two down eight. So we'll, we'll take it, even if it required a very makeable missed field goal at the end. Um how much do you think coaching plays a role in QB development? There has been talk amongst Bear fans that uh that the bears would have ruined Mahomes. What do you think? I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's kind of my simple answer is I don't know, but I'll say that whatever my opinion is, the consensus opinion is probably directionally wrong towards coaching mattering more than it does. Right. I think in general circumstances, people are, are directionally wrong thinking coaching matters in all aspects more than, than than it does because we just can't measure it. And we disrespect kind of the natural randomness of everything. 
And when you can't directly measure it, you can't see it. It's just like this ephemeral sort of thing. I mean, maybe some people can try to break down film and think of other things, but you know, but generally it's kind of this like ephemeral sort of phenomenon. Then people just like take what is natural variance, which is not assigned to anything, and they assign it to coaching or something that we can't see and can't measure. You know, team play better than talent on team. Boom. Let's give it to the coach. Team played worse than talent. What we think the talent on the team is. Boom. Let's give it to the coach. Whereas there's obviously a healthy factor of randomness and no one wants to just assign that randomness out there. I mean, people look at, you know, David Carr or someone back in the day and say, oh, you know, he was ruined by coaching or RG3 was ruined by that, that knee injury. I don't know. I mean, these guys had plenty of chances later in their career to do something and they just didn't do it. More likely than not is like, they're just not good. People get their evaluations wrong all the time. So there's no reason to think that the heavy base rate of 50% of evaluations are wrong um, versus, I don't know what the base rate would be for players ruined by coaching, but it's probably pretty low. It's definitely low versus like a 50% base rate of guys just not being good. Um, So we should assume like in the situation of fields that he's just not good. I mean, we see plays where he should be making a play and he's not. So is he like he could get juiced up. His efficiency may be worse than it would be otherwise, but I don't think it would reach some threshold level um, or the bears would have ruined Mahomes. No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so, but th- that was like the, the Browns sort of thing too. When it came to the Browns, could t- the Browns actually wanted to take Mahomes inside insider scoop here. The Browns actually wanted to take Mahomes in 2017, but they thought he was going to get to 12 and he, you know, didn't end up happening. Chiefs uh, chiefs jumped up above him. On that one, that was Sashi was probably Sashi had one problem. It was being a little bit too like I'm going to hold on to this draft capital and not trump the Chiefs bid to move up a couple of spots and go and go get our guy Mahomes. Um, yes or no? Bucks are this year's Giants? No, I'm going to say no, just because I feel like Daniel Jones actually had real legitimate efficiency the entire season. And I don't think it's going to it's going to maintain for Baker because he doesn't have that rushing like floor to, to raise them up. Um, but, you know, there, there are definitely some similarities there. I think they're defensively and talent wise, just outside of the quarterback. They're a lot better than the Giants were, too. So I, I don't know the level of fraudulence there or whatever you want to call it or, you know, reliance upon weird things like rushing is probably going to be lower if the Bucks continue to win. But we'll see. Uh, do you think using your adjusted scores are a good tool for betting purposes, i.e. picking Vikings or ratings where their adjusted record is better than their actual record? I don't know. I mean, this is not a betting tout sort of podcast. I mean, I do power rankings, which are based upon the adjusted scores, which I think gives you a little bit better idea of fundamental efficiencies of these teams. And if that's a better idea of their fundamental efficiency, then it should be a better idea of their predictive Efficiency going forward. I found a little bit of an advantage to the adjusted scores versus um, and trying to look out a sample on this too versus actual scores, especially early in the season. But as we get into, you know, week five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, um, I don't know. They're 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 pretty close. Like a lot of the variance just ends up canceling out week after week. So, I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's a better understanding of just how things have played out so far. Um, and maybe the reality lies somewhere between the actual and the adjusted. Uh, what are your thoughts on the numerology behind coaching team records and the cappers betters that use numbers in stats records? I'm not even sure. Like, I'm a little bit confused by the question here, honestly. Um, 
I think most splits, if you're talking about splits or some sort of trends or are garbage. Um, like my joke, I was joking that Jalen Waddle splits were the biggest loser of this week because <laughs> Tua's like efficiency without Jalen Waddle is like off the charts. It's kind of like the Teron Armstead splits that we were seeing later this year. Um, you know, that how ridiculous it was to say Tua fell on his face against the 49ers last year without Armstead and then also didn't play well in a handful of snaps outside of that. So then it matters so much. I don't know. I, I would, I would fade any sort of any, anything that has a lot of the like, splits happen, especially when we're talking about a lot of stuff like you, some people's their entire like marketing business model seems to be based on, you know what, I'm going to split the data up 30 different ways and then just pick out the interesting splits and then make a deal out of them. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's all garbage. Uh, speaking of adjusted scores, if you consider using these instead of the quasi Bayesian update, which are used in the unpredictable market-based rankings. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe again, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to make this like too betting explicit, even though I know people are using that because then, like, I, I don't want to get a tout game. It's just like there's very bad incentives when you're talking about that that sort of stuff. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm three for four over my last two weeks or some other bullshit. Um, no, I like just looking at the, the unpredictable, knowing what goes into them. I think that the key is when you're looking at anything is like dig into the details and actually know what it's about, right? All models are wrong, as I like to say, so, but some of them are useful. So, I haven't thought about doing that. I have thought about like this fundamental power rankings for the adjusted scores. Um, but those market-based rankings are, are going to definitely take advantage of a lot more of the contextual elements when it comes to injuries and things like that than my uh, my power rankings are. So if you want to you know, squish them together yourself, I, I post them all on the Google subscriber sheet for the power rankings, which I'll update tomorrow. Um, and all the adjusted scores for all the different games going back to the beginning of last season. So, you know, go ahead and uh, and uh, try and figure it out yourself or, or, you know, drop some questions, too, in the uh, or in the comments on the on the posts. And I try to, you know, hit people back if it's explicitly asking me a question about anything there. All right, everybody. We're done. We're out of here. I may or may not get you get to you tomorrow, depending upon whether there's something interesting to say about the games tonight, Monday Night Football. We got another doubleheader. So at least we got volume going on here. Otherwise, definitely back at you on Friday to talk about Thursday Night Football, preview the week. Appreciate the support. Again, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. Go ahead and subscribe on there. And I'll mention it again because I haven't mentioned this over the last couple of weeks, but I did before the season and got uh, a decent amount of takers there. You know, if you have any sort of financial difficulties, uh, you don't have to like give me a sob story or anything, but just, you know, just shoot me a note, respond to one of the posts, say, hey, can you hook me up with a, with a, with a comp here? And I'll, I'll fire up a six month comp for, for your email, which will, I think it'll take you well through the end of the season at this point. Um, and then, you know, if you like what you see, if you, if your financial situation gets a little bit better, if, you know, things are going well, you want to, you want to subscribe after that? I'd uh, greatly appreciate it. I try to have some really good draft content. We got some good subscribers in during the draft. So uh, it's not like things completely fall off after that. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, listening to the end of this. Um, I'll be talking at you again on tomorrow, maybe, or Friday. All right. Talk to you later. 